Rodney, what's happening, bro? What's happening? You know what? I was going to talk about meditating today, mm. but we have a special guest, so I want to know if he would have anything to talk a about. A special shtick guest. Hey, Ruff, producer Ruff. Hey, I've always wanted to be a part of one of these shticks, and yeah? the fact that I'm here right now, you bring up meditation. It's funny you mention that. Ever since moving to California in 2016, I've always avoided meditation, but I'm here to tell you, meditation is for everyone. Except for me, because oh. I'm still not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's for everybody except me. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's what happens when you do a shtick and you don't know what's about to happen. So there it is. <laughs> Seriously, there how it can is. You but what I was going to say, go, run it, run it. What I was going to say is that meditation is amazing because I get. My best think thinking done. Some of my see, best ideas. See, you come can't out even of take it seriously. You can't take it seriously. No, 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 no. I can't. Like, and I understand that that's not the point of meditation. But there actually is no point in meditation. It is what it is. So when my best ideas come up, then like that's what it was supposed to be. Or when I'm just thinking about nothing and just watching my breath, that's what it's meant to be. So the the meta point here is stop judging your meditation. Stop judging other people's meditation or lack thereof and just keep it moving. Welcome back to the More Uncommon Podcast. I'm your co-host Keith with my guy. Hi, I my eardrums hate our intros, uh, but also have compassion and speaking of compassion compassion is life compassion is breath i'm gonna leave it at that and you're just gonna listen to this conversation and and get some more context context as to what that means yeah and this conversation is with our producer rough holmes who is after two years retiring his more in common shoes to do some other things so we decided to have him on and just have a riffing as would any conversation be with Ruff conversation just to pay respect share share with you all the the one and only Ruff and we're excited to bring you the show why would you listen to this episode well I'll tell you if you want to hear how random we can really be when we're unscripted which we're normally unscripted, but this is another level. If you want to hear us talk about our journey to this point, three years podcasting, two years with Ruff, how we've gotten to where we are. And we also get into some pretty serious issues. We talk about the black agenda and what does that mean? We talk about what it's like being black and some of the fears that come along with that. We talk about society and we talk about movies. We talk about media and its effect on policing and and how people see black folk it's just a it's just a good conversation there's some good laughs there's some serious moments and uh rough we're gonna miss you bud yeah so before um, we head off to the conversation here uh, more in common ent.com all things more in common and you can find our consulting business which we are spinning up that's right we are helping organizations with disengaged and disenchanted employees through our four-step more process Hit me up. Hit Keith up if you have questions. If you're interested, hit us up. 
That is a very powerful statement. And I think just to open that can all the way up, I'll pour it on the table or pour it in the bowl, is why do we have to live like that? Why do we have to live and acknowledge it in a space where it's just like somebody's going to come from my head eventually. They're going to take everything that I've worked hard for and say that I don't deserve it. And just like your DNA can be passed down with your eyes, your color of your skin, your eyebrows, your mouth, your nose, that's also part of the black DNA in America as well, too. And and I'm saying this as somebody who's first generation. When my parents came from Haiti and, you know, and I exist here in this realm, watching it, all this, you know, like I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. Apparently, even within certain black constructs and black diasporas, there's infighting. And I'm just like, why must it? Why must there be infighting? We're all here to, to achieve the same thing, which is to elevate the family from the gener- generation before and take it to the next level. Well, everybody, today is a special episode because we are coming to an end of an era, not with more in common, but with our producer, Ruff Holmes. Ruff's been with us for two years now, and as he comes to a close with his more in common producing experience, we decided to have him on the show because he wanted to talk about some things, and we said, okay. And uh, we thought it would be a good way to end the season, you know, before we head off into a little bit of a break. Is a good way to wrap it up. Bit of a break. Which I will say, I want to throw this out there because you're a brilliant musician and, and, and you're a brilliant producer and a music producer. And I think that is is what allows you to do that. Like you're super eclectic and you can talk about anything and you can talk about anything in any conversation like and, and prefer it that way. And I think that, I mean, it shows in your music, like your musical range is ridiculous. And yeah, so I just wanted, I just wanted to give you some props yeah. for that. So yeah, what so I will I say wanted, is just to, give you just to kind of summarize Stanley two years, Goodspeed <laughs> is um, Stanley Goodspeed has taken us from once a month to once every other week to once a week in our episodes he's introduced some things into the podcast he's brought our recording time from what was an hour and 45 minutes of us trying to navigate some things uh, to get an hour down to 115 to an hour and i want to have part of that conversation we talked about this a little bit this morning and the the challenge in hiring free thinking people to work for you uh, mm. because it's what you want, but it's also painful when rough comes in. He's like, yo, yo, you guys need some standard operating procedures. Like what? What? Who are you? No. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are you talking about? We got 30 episodes already out. Like, what do you mean? We need some, the challenge of, of hiring free thinking people who challenge what you're doing or challenge what you're thinking at times has been hard for me to just listen and and accept and adapt but all those things you're talking about rough has brought us into a modern age of podcasting and just our processes on the back end but also challenging how we think about having conversations and the content that we're trying to provide and even as we work on that now i think we're still getting better at it even as you get ready to go to your next chapter yeah and i will say um on that note like one of the things it's it's challenged me with specifically is the acceptance of being able to take an idea and either accept it or say no and not assign personal 
attribution. Like, it's just an idea. I may like it. I may not like it, but it's yeah. not an indictment on you. And early yeah. it's like, or an indictment on me, right? Like, oh, you're, you're telling me I need to do this. That means all the things I've been doing are wrong. Therefore I'm wrong and working through that. And it's been, I mean, working with you has, and I mean, working with you has sharpened awareness, knowledge, and just how I function in that type of role. So it's been, uh, it's been great type of role. So it's been, uh, it's been great. It was, it was really, it, it wasn't difficult, but it was just trying to get them to see outside of the box. And I think for, for me, for somebody who wasn't in corporate for so long, but I have so many people who have been in corporate, it, it made, it also on the back end, it, it learned, I learned how to adjust my shield accordingly. Keith was talking about making ceremony stories. I learned how to shield. And what that meant is letting a little bit out so they can digest it and then putting the shield up. So before they can come out with anything, just basically say, hey, you still got some stuff left to digest and then letting them have some more at it. And I think that's the best way to explain it, because if I flooded them with too much information, they essentially just get swept by it and it'd be like, we don't know what he's saying. We don't know what he's talking about, but when it came down to it and I had to learn how to give him just morsels and pieces and, of, okay, and this is what and I want to translate do. it. So we knew what you were saying. Well, the reason I don't translate it is because I'm very comfortable around you guys. So, you know what I mean? No, you I'm not saying like, like, like it's just, it's just natural. <laughs> like when, when you say things, I don't, don't always speak I'm the same so language cozy with you guys. Yeah, though. it's good. I'm not I'm saying so it's a bad thing. I'm so it's just, it's just is. It's not a bad thing. It just is. Would you say that it was actually easy? Because you said, you just said it was easy. And I think you're sandbagging. I don't think it was easy because for the process of unlearning, overthinking everything and doing it the way we were doing it and continuing to do it because it was the way we were doing it has not been an easy process for me to undo. Would you actually say it was an easy process? It, w- it was an easy process, but you guys kept missing your shots from my perspective. I was the point guard and I had a big man down center and I had, I had a shooting guard on the wing. And every time I tossed the ball, I hit you with a bounce pass and tell you to shoot, you would shoot, but you would miss, or you'd look for the pass. And I'm just like, fam, you're wide open. Take the shot. And I think that's the best way to explain it. Because if you're a point guard, your, your entire job is to get everybody moving around. Okay. Set the screen, set the play, do whatever. But you would just, it's, it's, and I want, I don't want to say drop pass because that's like a really foregone conclusion because you guys caught some amazing passes, but is you guys would not shoot when you're open because the lane would be wide open and I'd, I'd, I'd hit a no look pass to Keith and I'd be like, Keith, just dunk it straight down the middle and he wouldn't do it. And that's in reference to just like the creative aspect of it where it's just like, guys, we're like, run. Yeah. We're, we're LeBroning it. We're like, instead of, instead of just taking over the game, oh, that's we're, slander. we're redistributing. That's LeBron we're slander. Redistributing. I just want to clarify for the record. That's LeBron slander. Rodney we're still re, thinks re, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. <laughs> I did not say any of that. I think I, what? I didn't say that. So over the two years, rough, what's, what's it been like? Like what's, what's your growth? I mean, we could talk about our growth all day long. Curious what your growth's been over the last two years. I think the, the growth has been understanding that clear communication and constant communication and my fear of the follow-up, which I've learned how to follow up even better is, is, has been ideal to, especially right now, like the position that I'm in right now, I'm essentially a one of one, one-stop shop and I have to communicate consistently. 
And I, I think what's amazing about you guys is you didn't force it on me. You just made it a part of the curriculum. You just made it a part of the process. And I think when you made it a part of the process, it, it became enshrined. It became documented. It became a part of my DNA. That's something that I've had to learn how to get better at. And because of that, that's changed over time as well, too. Now, I would say from a from a professional standpoint, nothing's changed. I'm still me. But at the same time, I've also learned how to how to understand people's personalities a little bit better and understand what people are willing to to jump into and what people are not willing to jump into. I think it's the best way to explain it, to say the least. Yeah. What did and maybe you took some of this, maybe some of your answer previously already addressed this, but did you take anything out of out of listening to the conversations or anything out of I mean, listening and editing, and obviously you got you got the deepest view of all the conversations. But. Oh man, it was listen. It is a master class in listening. I say I went through for these last uh, few years, and I'm still going to be listening, obviously. But the people that you guys had on to this day, I think um, I'm a sucker for a good conversation. One of my favorite episodes was listening to a conversation that you had with your friend whenever whenever you was in the office and. I think he was a professor and he talked about Dr. Takata Ritz. Yeah. That was a really good one with him and just understanding his proponent and his complex ideologies of just American just foresight. And then you had other conversations about one guy, for instance, one of our guests, he sat at an airport and a woman was going all Karen on the uh she was going all Karen on the flight attendant. The flight was delayed. Was, the flight was delayed. And and he said, it was is that those moments where you have to look at yourself and be like, okay, this person is going through something, but you have to ask yourself why. Which brings me to the great conversation in a little bit, but why? And he said that he sat down and he said, Hey, he's like, I hear you. And then she started going and then she's like, My son. He just got diagnosed with cancer. I just need to be there with him. I just need to be with him. And he was just like, tell me about your son. And it's those moments where you look at somebody and you think that they're just going crazy, but you have to ask yourself, okay, why are you acting like this? There's a reason behind this. Whether you want to admit it or not, you exist in this space, in this realm of just total chaos because you don't want to showcase a certain emotion or you don't want to acknowledge the state that you're in. You're trying to avoid it, which brings me to the best question, which, which brings me to the question with you guys is me listening to those conversations. Hey, that's a sore subject. Let me lean back and taking the charisma to make the guest feel comfortable enough to open up. I've watched you guys break down entire personalities and then put them right back together again and the person not even notice. And for me, that is masterful. But at the same time, I don't think you guys realize what you're doing. And I'm not going to put any guests out there, but it really is brilliant. Which, whatever Keith, we were going through last year, whenever the George Floyd scenario happened, Keith came up with an amazing idea and said, what can white do? I'm white, what can I do? And it was a great concept and a great idea that he started I task him to continuously to do it because right now, more than ever, 
we're, I don't know what time we're with, but I want to give our time anyway. But there's a lot of stuff going on right now when it comes to civil rights, when it comes to racism, when it comes to just the black agenda. And a lot of people, whenever they hear black agenda, they automatically get fearful. I'm not going to lie to you. I get fearful when I hear that because it just brings me back to black leaders getting killed and assassinated. Cause, and, and for me, whenever you hear black agenda, it, it reeks of chaos. It reeks of violence. But the point that a lot of people, I think, need to understand is the black agenda is not to attack you. The black agenda is a civil rights and a human rights thing that I think a lot of people really don't comprehend. And I think with Keith's I'm white, what can I do is really going to change the game on that. And I'm 100 percent a huge supporter of whatever you guys do. And I think a lot of people, when they find out. When that mass wave comes in, when that viral clip that you guys come out with drops, it's you guys are going to see just it's going to be amazing. It really going to be it's going to be of one of us falling. <laughs> it's going to be on like one of us stepping on like a child's toy and losing it. That's what it's, it's going to be. be about. But yeah, the you said a lot there. I'll start with the. I like what you just you said. What can white do, Keith? I think that's an interesting name to explore. The the idea is brilliant. I love it. And we're up the black, ag- the black agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like what you said about the agenda, even I grew up with some fear of the, of the movement. And I grew up around people who had fear of like the black Panthers and like, Oh my God, they're so militant. They're militants. Like, no, they're, no, they're protecting themselves. And if you think about, if you really think deeper about what the black agenda is, the black agenda is to just just live and just survive in this country without any without being put upon because if the black agenda was to destroy this country it would it would not look the same as it does right now like if if the black agenda was to be violent and to destroy everything like things would be nasty and horrible and so for people that hear that and think it like just think a little bit deeper but I would also implore you keep keep going. I I had it's funny you brought this up, Ruff, because I thought about this the other day. I was like, man, I need some more white. He's slacking. I, I'm gonna call him out right now. He's slacking. So, on He's slacking. So I'm gonna and for the audience, like because I haven't promoted it on YouTube, you can find it on Instagram and all that. He even got an Instagram. I did. This man, I he- did. <laughs> it's so like the, my social life has changed. Like it's I'm not. Yeah, it's different. But it is absolutely something. So there are a couple of thoughts I have on it. One, since I came out with it, Rodney and I have like the amount of time spent on more in common enterprise with consulting and all of the things that we're doing. It's just, and it's been an enormous commitment to making that happen. I've also been getting more involved in my community, trying to to weave in some things through the Cleveland Clinic. I'm now involved on a a D and I committee where we're really trying to understand the Cleveland area and their relationship with the clinic. So really trying to get plugged in. And so I just there's so much on my plate. What I didn't know going into it was how much effort there is in video editing. And so having that extra three, four, five hours of potentially work. I just don't have it right now. So it's been a, it's, it's just 
been, I'm trying to be more active and doing other things. But once we quit the full-time and go full-time on this, there will be more time dedicated. Because my last video dropped when I took six weeks off from the full-time and I was able to dedicate to, to editing it. And, and, it was, and that was my best and, one. And that one was brilliant. Yeah, you was did, a, you did a drop on, on racism and bigotry and prejudice. I would... Man, we haven't talked about this. Since. I mean, I sent you a message mm-hmm. once and I was like, I need you yeah. to do this. Like, I personally need you to do this. And because I was actually feeling really defeated at that day when I sent you that. And, um, you know, I, I think that that video, that last video you did was excellent. It doesn't need to be the standard. Like, you could just pick up a phone and just do a live and just record it. And just yeah. yeah. Because... You showing up in a space with that face and that hair, like as a white dude who gives a shit, means everything. I mean, and that's the thing about it too that I think a lot of people fail to realize is, is I, I told you guys this, and so there's just two quick stories. One, I was in a I was in an Uber going to the airport, and when I got to the airport, what basically happened was the dude that I was in Carmen was obviously a Trump supporter. But the conversation I had in the Uber was basically the dude was complaining about his rent in Los Angeles, and he was complaining about how much money he spent, how a new management company he had. He's had three management companies in the last two years come into his building and raise his rent a couple hundred dollars every single time to the point where he's like, I'm moving to Vegas. And he started talking about like just complaining, but he's also complaining about women having abortion. I'm like, fam, you can't, you can't. I mean, what, what are you, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Yeah, but they're killing babies, bro. It's not your body, my guy. Like it's not your body. Like it's, it's hers. Why should you care what she's doing with her body? Like, you wouldn't care if she's drinking alcohol. literally had this conversation last weekend with a white dude who loves Fox News, but yeah. he does not love Trump. He does not love Trump. And he's an enigma to me, this guy. But he <laughs> he, he just out of the blue brought up abortion as if I was like, as if oh, you're we're ready having for this that conversation. conversation. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, we're having, like, we, sure. <laughs> Sign me no up. no way we have a relationship in which abortion should be a conversation. However, he just talked and I think he thought he could trigger me, honestly. He wanted to see if he could. And I, and I mean, we're, we're finding out more and more of those conversations. And the thing is for me is I forgot the second story because that first one was well, so hold, good. Well, hold on real quick. The thing I just want to say is like that it's her body thing. I was just like, okay, so if you got told you had to get a vasectomy after your child or you got told you had to have any kind of procedure or you couldn't have a procedure that you needed and or wanted to have, like, how would you feel about that? And he just said, he literally, he said nothing. There is no callback to it, but that that's 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 the whole like because there's a whole other wave of it, too, where they're saying like the Christian right felt defeated after gay rights got put into the Supreme Court. So now their big attack is on trans rights, which a couple laws just came into fruition and hit a couple floors of a couple states recently. And that's a whole nother conversation for another day because I don't want to make it about that because this is this is it. This is it. It's a lot of cans. It's. Have you ever seen have you ever seen signs with Mel Gibson? <laughs> yeah. You know how his yeah. daughter has water Can, all over the house? Yeah. That's right. And, and just, you just put them on the shelf and then we'll come back to it later and we won't have time to come back to these really deep conversations. Eventually they will keep us safe because aliens are gonna attack us and they, it turns out they're allergic to I water. I wanna like I wanna stay on one of those cans that's on the shelf that Rodney you opened up is the the black agenda. Like I find it fascinating how there, it's almost like it's a triggering sentiment that, oh, the black agenda. Like, at the end of the day, this country has been built without the say-so of the people who economically gave 
economic power to this country, right? Because of free labor and the cotton trade. And so the agenda of the black, it's almost like, and and there is that, that way it's been framed culturally is as if that is going to take over what is the white power dynamic. When at the end of the day, it's, I, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I used to think of it in terms of equity, right? But I think, I don't know. I heard someone say it might have been even Dr. Dr. Grant. Like it's equity. It's about being able to live and create a culture and have space that thrives in the way that America as an ideal to create freedom allows it to exist, not necessarily as part of the white power dynamic or economic model or any of that for that matter. It's just a way to live freely, whether it's because they don't want to interact with white people. Cool. Right. Or if it's because this group wants whatever they want, but it's, it's a matter of just that space in this idea of black agenda vilifies it. It's like, it's, it's a group of people who want what the country, what they help build and that the country ultimately hasn't given them since the beginning. James Baldwin said it best. Like your American ideals, I'm paraphrasing here, doesn't exist for me. Yeah. It really doesn't. The American plight does not exist. It, like the American dream is, is, is not a reality for me. It's and then you not. just think about the yeah. structure of America. It's all social construct, right? So it's, it's, it's just these all made up social constructs that only survive if we all agree to them. And, but, or the power dynamic. Right. But at the end of the day, multiple subsets of social constructs can exist within this plateau if the power dynamic allowed for it. And that power dynamic is predominantly white men. We can't get away from it anymore, right? We can't hide from it. You're speaking about power dynamics, Keith. You brought up an interesting point, and I want to talk to you guys about this as well, too, since we're talking about the black agenda. What happens whenever black people get money? What happens whenever black people get power? What's going to happen then? Because for me, in the back of my mind, I don't think white people are ready for that. Like, who do you think you are with all your millions and billions of dollars? You think you can have this? And I think the reality of it is, is just that whenever the money comes in and people start seeing black people rise up out of poverty, rise up out of the middle class, and they start to be able to attain buildings. And that's why a lot of people don't realize this. Like one of the largest states with black millionaires is Texas, but no, you can't, a black millionaire can't come out voraciously and talk about how they have, how they've made their wealth. Cause somebody's always going to ask, how did you get here? And then people are going to start knocking like, and start pick, start pickpocketing and looking through your windows. And the reality of it is, is, we don't want another Tulsa, so we keep it to ourselves. Stay quiet. Live rather modestly. Yes, it's it's more than just looking through the windows. Like it is, it's been legalized and is legal to take it from black folk. So, like for me, every every rung of success, I just look at like, all right, well, when somebody coming, when somebody and coming. That is a very powerful statement, and I think just to open that can all the way up, I'll pour it on the table or pour it in the bowl is why do we have to live like that? Why do we have to live and acknowledge it in a space where it's just like, somebody's gonna come from my head eventually. They're going to take everything that I've worked hard for and say that I don't deserve it. And just like your DNA can be passed down with your eyes, your color of your skin, your eyebrows, your mouth, your nose, 
that's also part of the black DNA in America as well, too. And and I'm saying this as somebody who's first generation. When my parents came from Haiti and, you know, and I exist here in this realm watching it, all this, you know, like I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. Apparently, even within certain black constructs and black diasporas, there's infighting. And I'm just like, why must it why must there be infighting? We're all here to, to achieve the same thing, which is to elevate the family from the generation before and take it to the next level which is one of the main reasons why I became a creator because it's, yeah, I could become a doctor. Yeah, I can become a lawyer. Yeah, I can become something standard and make my 100K a year. But the reality of it is the way my brain thinks, I would be bored out my mind and I would be miserable being in a space where it's just like, fam, you're telling me I got to go ahead and cut this patient open again. He's been here three times already. Why won't he just die? I will verbally say that out loud Probably to the nurses. Fine. Cause that's my, that's my horrible bedside manner, but that's, but that's what I would so think. I'm, I'm, like, I'm bro, looking forward to know? getting the Jim Lowry piece out that you haven't, <laughs> you're not going to edit. So you're going to have to listen to it because he talks about the only way that equity happens is by having more black billionaires. And I mean, you bring up oh, a, you bring so up good. a great point. Power to power. Well, I power mean, is, is everybody ready for that? Cause that, that creates no. And I, yeah, I don't know. The world is yeah. not ready for that. It's, just, it's it's going to be a cold war. Honestly, if you really want to think about it, it's going to be I want to call war. something out real quick too for the audience. Because we have a lot of what you would say liberal agenda type conversations, right? If we call it out straight up. But you is this the part where identify you as a conservative ahead. Republican, right? Moderate, moderate conservative, conservative not conservative. Don't, don't not- have them coming from my head. <laughs> don't have them coming yeah. from my head. So and and I, and I think and the reason I, I call that out in the frame of this conversation is everything's become so polarized in the last 10 years, but especially in the last four. And it's almost as if that label matters to the nuance and reality of the conversation. And what I'm just saying is it doesn't. You can be Republican or conservative and still understand the nuance of this conversation and understand the plight and the issues. It's It's not... It, I mean, it's just life. It is not mutually right. exclusive. I, I think, and I, th- and I think what a lot of people are realizing as well, too, is that when you look at the numbers, there is more white people in America than there are black people. And that's okay. There are 50 million black 20, people in America. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Ex- exactly. And the thing is, is 13, 13 now. Yeah. yeah. And it used to be 20. Did we, you know that? Talk, it used to be 20 in the 19th century. And the vast. Yeah. And that's the thing to me. When we look at those numbers, like these gentlemen are talking about, what a lot of people fail to realize is that like people of color are significantly more disproportionate, but the wealth is not distributed the same. And, and it's not to say like, you know, you're rich, give me your money. No, we're talking about the same opportunities. Their systems put into place. We could talk about system, systematic racism, but no, I'm going to simplify it for a lot of people on this podcast. There are literal systems put into place to keep same families in there and operational. And what that means is you, go, you you take your kid to a private school. That private school has people who are of influence. If you can get your kid into that private school for just one year, that will literally significantly maybe even double your net worth of your family because of the people that you might meet there and the connections that you might make in that one year. And what does that do to your family? It takes your family to the next level. Now you can move to a quote unquote safe neighborhood, which for me, I say quote unquote, because every neighborhood is safe until you talk to the wrong person. In my opinion, I'll leave that there. 
I'll let that. I'll let that. I'll let that just sit right there on the table. Let that let simmer. It simmer. Let it simmer. Every neighborhood is safe until you talk to the right person or wrong person, give or take. And the point that I'm trying to make is it's just that there are systems put into place for people to succeed. Unfortunately, there's a lot more white people in those systems than there are black people. And that's whenever you get into the conversation of, well, is this systematic? Yes, it's systematic. And the fact that there's more white people in those systems means that it's systemic racism. And that is the whole purpose of systemic racism. That is the idea of systemic racism. Because, yeah, you can have those systems into place, but if they're not divvied out, then then that means one person or one group can benefit more so than the next. And, and I mean, how is that difficult to understand? Because when you're in it and you're a part of it and you benefit from it, that's this is the, for me, it's the clearest definition of privilege. When you don't have to think about something, then you're privileged. And so you don't have to think about it because it's never negatively affected you. Like my friends who are white, who grew up with me in Indiana, are like my life's hard too. Like I don't have a dad, I don't have a mom or we grew up poor. And I'm like, yes. And you haven't lost opportunities because of your skin color. Like, take what you've gone through and make it harder for somebody who maybe even started out ahead of you. And that, like, it's hard, but you can't. There's, um, there's, there's a, there's a truth about the, the reality of the, the false narrative of meritocracy. And that is, I have worked hard. My identity is in hard work. And if for whatever reason you have less of a, a harder road and that is magnified in some way, somehow it devalues my identity. And I think one of, to your point about privilege, Rodney, one of the, my favorite things, and it's been online, is if you've never had the law question whether you should exist legally, then you have privilege. And the only, and, and literally, I want to say this loud and clear, the only group of people in this country that have never been questioned on whether they should exist legally is straight white men. Women couldn't vote until 1920. We all know the plight of black people, gay people, now transgender, like about Native, Native Americans. Americans. That, that's the thing. So... It's funny you guys bring that up because I remembered my second story. As as Dave Chappelle likes to say, come get your nigga tails. The I was talking to a friend of mine. We play video games together. We haven't played in a while. And when all this stuff was going down with Joe, uh, not all stuff, when the murder happened of George Floyd and it happened, he couldn't grasp and understand why that happened. And just like uh, Rodney brought it up. Uh, and Keith brought it up. Oh, I come from a poor family, too. You know, like life was hard. I lived out of my car and stuff like that. I mean, dude, you're a straight white man with two kids, two beautiful kids who are smart. And for some reason, you can't understand why it's not OK to say for your kids to say the N word or why it's OK for it to hear that on a video game, which is fine. I get it. You know, it's your prerogative. I'm not going to come after you. But he said something to me one day. He said, hey, Ruff, I think I get it. And I said, what do you mean? I think I get it. I was on Facebook the other day and I was reading a post that one of my friends put, she's a white woman, and she broke it down and, and broke down privilege. And she broke it down and she understood, you know, what it meant, the empathy that we're supposed to have for black people. And I think I get it. And at that moment, I understood you can't talk to everybody as much as you want to tell everybody 
this, that, and third, and you want to tell them, hey, this is what it is, this is what's going on, Black Lives Matter, they won't get it. Until they hear it from somebody who looks like them, until they understand it from somebody who sounds like them, until they understand it from somebody who understands where they come from, they won't get it. And why does it have to go that far? I don't know. But he understood it, and he said, I get it. I grasp it. I understand the concept. He's basically like a... He's basically like Hades and, and Hercules. I get it. I get it. I grasp the concept. And that's it's yeah. It's like the biggest issue is that we're tribal. I think that's why. And the tribe is look, look, I can see that you are the same as me, and I can't see that you're the same as me because you don't look the same, even though I will say I'm colorblind or whatever. And that is that's where it comes. That's why somebody could look at the video that came. It was like yesterday or two days ago of the white dude in a pickup truck surrounded yeah. by special forces, officers and police officers. And a police officer was on the his the arm running was through board, the window, the running board of his truck arm in the window, trying to get the key out of the ignition. An officer with a AR-15 pointed to the ground, not the car. And he's backing into cop cars, driving into cop cars, drove off with a cop. It's a movie. arm in the car. It's a fucking movie. It's a not happened. one single bullet fired. Yes, not a happened. single bullet fired, bro. And then and then I'm telling you, white people will look at it and be like, I don't see a problem. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, we got to laugh at that. We got to laugh at that because no, this is the reason why black people are jaded. And I mean, and I say black is, is my friends, my family, my like my counterparts, my bro, Hispanic I would be dead 10 sisters. times. I would be dead 10 times if bro. I thought about looking at the. Well, and I mean, that that shit, that shit's real because um, of what had happened in Chicago uh, two weeks ago. Oh, uh, with a 13 year old, the 13 year old. Who they said had who a gun? Said on they had a gun on him, and he just raised his hands. He was just—he just stopped in the alley, raised his hands, and he took one in the chest, and then took another one. I can't watch. I can't watch I, the video. I, I, turn, I, I just saw the picture, and I, I don't watch them anymore. You know, it's there's this movie I out. I stopped. I stopped. There's a while this ago. movie out um, on Netflix, and uh, we gotta we gotta come to time here soon. I think we could talk forever. There's this movie out on Netflix. I, I think it's called Distant Strangers. It's like 30 minutes long. It's a short one. And it is essentially about this uh, young black professional who relives the same day over and over and over again. And he's basically killed by a police officer over and over and over and over again. And it is a, an exceptional representation and he tries to, because he like ends up in the wrong. He's like in the wrong neighborhood, and he tries. He tries many ways yeah, to get around. Yeah, he's it. not even like, in the wrong neighborhood. It's powerful. Like he, yeah. it's just, and it's a a really great visual representation of just what it is, and it really does a good job making you feel it and see the perspective and see what happens. And when he lights up a cigarette, and that doesn't smell like a cigarette, right? Now let me check out. Now this is what now it's showing stop and frisk and what stop and frisk is all about, right? And all of these things that end up happening to people of color in this country that just that that don't happen, you know. I mean, I there are three do you know there are four officers ever I think it was four, now Derek Chauvin is the fourth officers ever tried in the state of Minnesota for killing for, kill, for killing an unarmed black man or just killing One, in general. We can't We'll take Chauvin off of it. 
one has been actually convicted. Did you know that one person is a is a is an officer of color who killed I think a fifty year old white woman? He got thirteen years in prison. Okay, right? I mean, like sounds about wait sounds about yeah. white. Sounds I mean, about these white. things happen. So yeah. um, this is. I mean, it's been so. Listen, I want to. I want. We got to start bringing this to a close. And I want to. I just want to. That's amazing. Yeah. You got to check it out. I do. I do want to add a. I do want to add a caveat to that. So there's this small movement. Well, it's mostly large right now. So I don't know if you guys noticed in the last four or five years, there's been a, there's been a surge of just black traumatic movies. Yeah. Yeah. Run away from the law. And that seems to sell. There's a small movement online right now where people are saying, you know what? We're kind of yeah. over this. I think it's time we start putting some putting black people and people of color into really like happy go lucky mm. movies, happy go lucky sure. TV shows and just showcase that. We're more than just the black trauma trope. The slave movies, the and don't get me wrong, all those movies are amazing. Get Out, phenomenal black horror film, stuff like that. I, I saw Queen Slim, that was interesting in its own right as well too. But but I think a lot of people are just like, you know what? It's time for us to really start making a lot. I mean, more I TV won't watch them. I don't, I don't need any and, more. Trauma. And there's there's so much good stuff out there now. I was watching this movie the other day, uh, ten years is what it's called back in 2011. It's only produced in 2011. Mm. And uh, what's his name? Who played um, Falcon from Mar Marvel comics, <clears throat> Anthony Mackie Anthony plays Mackie. the only black mm -hmm. male role in, in the movie. And mm -hmm. he loves to, he's a player, you know, he lights up. He's the one that provides the, the dope to all the people, right? Like he's he's a walking trope. Now this was ten years ago, right? Well, this is this is how you get into Hollywood. Like you have to play that role to get in. Oh That's my right. god, Chadwick right. Chadwick yeah. Boseman talked yeah. about this. Yeah, he when he quit one of his first roles, like he's like, can can we make this comp this character more complex like, no. yeah why does he have to have a drug dealer mom and, and that's the thing too like to the to bring it around to the whole reason i brought up the whole like black people in different genres and different types of film is because mm -hmm. how we're portrayed in media also affects the biases that people have towards black people which also affects the biases that certain people in law enforcement mm -hmm. have against black people as well too whenever you see a lieutenant from the army who is black and has on his lieutenant garb in his car Dude, getting pepper sprayed shit. by cops it makes you think from a different perspective yeah. like what is this really about this is not about the military we know this we've known this for a long time and i'm out here on soapbox so let me not do that i think what i'm trying to say is that the reason i am i am i think I, i'm a slave to art and a slave to creating and which which in this context is the wrong word to use but i really do mean it because like i really do work hands and knees i've been broke I've been trying to figure things out from way back. Young. Even when I was in university, I jump on a bus for like two hours just to go to school and stuff like that. So for me, it's just like there's stories that need to be told. There's people that need to be a part of certain experiments and a part of certain projects that I don't know yet. But I know that story needs to be told and it needs to get out there. And I think that's the reason why I exist in this realm. I think that's the reason why I linked up with you guys for more in common, because you to have a conversation with somebody who's extremely difficult and you know they are seeing red and their blinders are on, but to talk them down from the ledge, to sit down with them and to break bread with them, even if they're screaming and spitting in your face, I'm being, I'm exaggerating here, but still get them 
to understand where they're coming from and make them feel confident enough to then, once they feel confident enough to tell them where you're coming from and for them to understand, that is not only a life skill, but it's a Pope job. And the reason I say it's a Pope job is because you're going to be doing it for the rest of your life because you're always going to see a different side of things. You're never going to see it black and white. Why is this? Where is this coming from? It's almost like a comedian's mindset. There's something funny here and we need to unlock mm. it. We need to open up the box. And I think that's why I was tasked to work with you guys. We appreciate that. And listen, you've done a I lot for us that, over though. the last two years. Um, we're at, we, we had no idea where this conversation was going to go, but out of respect for our, for the evolution that you've given us and the time that we've spent together, um, it's only it it's it's only a selfish privilege and joy to have this conversation and put it out in the world for anybody to listen to because you know we just we appreciate the the time you've spent with us and um you know obviously we'll be in touch but from a professional standpoint like we wish you the best and we're always here to support whatever you need to do i think uh the feeling is mutual i know you guys are going to crush it like I said, I'm still going to be a part of the team because huh. I still want some sweet, sweet merch. Because, you know, all the, all the T-shirts, you know, they'll look good. Catch them out at morecomapod.com. I'm not wearing one right now, but, you know, one of these guys will put one on uh, for the sake. The merch is awesome, but the message is even better. And I know that sounds so cliche for me to say, but it, it is the honest truth. And I would, be re- I would be remiss if I were to just step away and not be a part of not be a part of this process any further. And that's not something that I'm willing and capable to do, so. Whatever you guys need, you guys know I'm here. So wait, wait, wait. I want to wrap it with this then. I want to wrap it with this. <laughs> what does compassion mean to you, Ruff? I'm just getting so teary. I'm just thinking about it. Compassion. Compassionate is life. Compassion is breath. Compassion is not just understanding, but also taking as well. Compassion is giving, but most of all, Compassionate is listening and also hearing.